You're listening to What It's Like with Luce, a podcast highlighting ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Lucy Norris, and this week I'm joined with founder and CEO of Offbeat Donuts. Since opening its doors in 2016, the premium chain has gone from strength to strength and now operates eight stores, three kiosks, and even has franchised into Europe. Adopting what he learned from 25 years in the corporate world of food marketing, today's guest transformed a dinner conversation into one of Dublin's most well-known brands in just four years. Without further ado, here's what it's like to be Brian O'Casey. Welcome, Brian O'Casey. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I think we'll just dive straight in and start from the very beginning. Okay. Um, I read online that you said when you were younger you wanted to be a soldier. That yes. was your first kind of ambition that you had. Yes. Um, so can you just explain a little maybe how you went from soldier to now CEO and co-founder of one of Dublin's best donut chains? Well, um, well I always wanted to be a soldier when I was very young. Uh, my parents owned a restaurant I worked in food from a very young age as well okay. and uh, I would have gone in the weekends initially doing dishwashing, clearing the dishes and doing whatever I could around the restaurant and then as I got older uh, I worked in all parts of it but um, I grew up with a love for food one way or the other and uh, I went to college and did business and so I, at that stage I wanted to be in business for myself or one was interested in business, um, probably from my parents as well. And um, then I went into the food business and worked for 25 years in the food business in Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, primarily then in bakery. Okay. And uh, I worked for um, a company called Pierre's that I would have developed the brand and the product offer for, and then joined um, Cuisine de France. And, and then would have, uh, I suppose, progressed. I mean, Cuisine de France became one of the largest bakery companies in, in the world yeah. with Arista. And uh, then I would have, I suppose, left uh, Arista about four years ago. And uh, then it was a, a question of trying to figure out when I was going to leave, um, what I was going to do. Um, and how did you know when to kind of make the jump? Because that's quite a potentially scary thing to do to leave such a solid mm. secure thing to go yeah. out on your own so was there a moment that you really felt you know no I'm just gonna do it or was it a gradual process yes, well, in some ways it was a gradual process um, so I was looking there was a lot of changes within the business itself um, we were going more away from I suppose branded offers and branded concepts to um, manufacturing just pure manufacturing uh, within the rest of um, and then my own life, I was reaching the age of 50. Um, my daughter was doing her leaving cert. Um, I was having a lot of conversations about the leaving cert being important, but maybe not the rest of your life being determined by it or anything yeah. else. And um, I was thinking, I suppose there was a lot of changes going on in my life personally, and I suppose there was a lot of changes going on in my business um, work. So I said, right. Um, this is probably the right time for me to make a change. So I'm not sure it worked fully with my daughter, but it certainly made me think. Yeah. And um, so at that stage, I said, I had a conversation with my wife. And, um, we went on holidays, took a good trip to Vietnam. And, oh, very um, nice. Yes. Um, and then when we came back, uh, made a decision to leave. But, 
time I had six months notice so uh, it gave me a bit of time to think about what I was going to do then afterwards. Yeah. I didn't really want to go to another business or go back into the corporate world, I wanted to set something up for myself. So you made the decision you were going to leave, you were going to kind of potentially leave that structured corporate employee life behind. Yes. Why donuts? How did that kind of arise? Um, well, initially I thought I was going to get into the restaurant business and I was looking at restaurants and I was looking at different food offers and to be honest I didn't think I'd be able to stand out for the crowd. Um, it's a very well catered for a sector. Um, and there's probably a lot I didn't know about. Um, so I said, right, what do I know most about? What am I maybe know more about than 99% of people out there? And bakery uh, is the sector that I had worked in for many, many years, and it's the area that I knew most about. So I looked at bakery, um, and really what I wanted to do was bring the, the scratch bakery back to the Irish market into the you know the kind of the local communities and see what we could do and, and looking at uh, the bakery sector in Europe um, in Ireland we didn't have a patisserie um, counter we had maybe bake off breads and stuff like that but we didn't have a very good patisserie uh, sector so then I was looking at patisserie and I said okay I need to do it commercially and kind of make it interesting for everybody and there was a growth in demand at the time for uh, premium donuts, so mm -hmm. I'd seen Krispy Kreme enter the UK yeah. market. Um, I've done some work with um, a company called Tim Hortons in Canada. Oh were, yeah, I know yeah, them, yeah, yeah, I was over there for a bit, so yeah. was eating way too many of them every day. <laughs> so, um, well one of the things Arista did was work with them and probably in making the process simpler. And, uh, so we built a large uh, donut line that supported their offer. But I thought what they were doing with the whole fresh part of it and everything was really nice and interesting. So I said, right, let's combine bakery and bring bakery to local high street to patisserie counters and donuts. And really what I tried to do was, right, we're going to open a, a bakery that was about donuts, but really about patisserie quality recipes and really making them different and interesting. So um, donuts still conjures up jam and ring and maybe things that are not great um, and I wanted to make it it's a handheld carrier as far as I'm concerned and really it's about then your imagination how can you excite people with the recipe that you're going to put into that pastry so you guys entered the market and you came with these wacky flavors you know that people potentially hadn't seen before yeah. how did that how did those ideas first of all come up to be so creative with food and then how did you kind of come to that place where you knew if we're going to do this we have to be so outside the box that that attracts attention in itself? Well when we were researching the range and the, the concept uh, we got friends, family, anybody that would come into a room and have a chat about um, not donuts, we didn't mention donuts, but we said, okay. what are your favorite treats? What are your favorite desserts? Or what comes into your mind when you think of treats or rewards or things like that? What 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 do you like? And to be honest, we wrote them all down. And so it's, we had everything from desserts, whether it's uh, apple pies, apple crumbles, to, to lemon meringue pies, to red velvet cakes, or chocolate cake, or um, we had the 
chocolate sweets, so we had Frere Rochers through to the Kinder Buenos or Mars bars or uh, Cherry's Chocolate Orange or whatever it might be. And then we had um, uh, Smarties, but all sorts of different treats came in there. And we put them all down on the page and we said, right, if we're going to make a recipe based on this, how do we do it? And how do we make it um, exciting for, I suppose, the consumer that's going to buy it? And um, how do we make it work and uh, make it that it does taste like an apple crumble tart or it does taste like a lemon meringue, meringue pie or whatever it might be, and, or a Kinder Bueno chocolate. So we went and we spent, uh, I built um, kind of a, one of these Shomer's log cabins beside the house. Oh, yeah, okay. So we spent six months um, working on the recipes, um, trying different apples, trying different chocolate, trying different, um, you know, production processes and everything else. Um, that must have been a pretty fun period for you guys to just have free range to experiment and kind yes. of come up here. Yeah, I hired a pastry chef that um, worked alongside me, and, okay. you know, um, would, so we'd make loads of donuts and loads of different recipes. and eat an awful lot of donuts and treats <laughs> and ingredients and everything else um, and then look at how we could do it in a commercially viable way so we need to do it with, with volume um, and then when you're dealing with uh, with donuts, it's a live product it's a bit like bread so I have yeast so you have to do all the timings uh, for everything um, and do that in bulk so Anyway, we spent six months working away on doing that. At the same time, working on the brand, um, what the brand is going to be about. So can you maybe, sorry to question, no, but just um, can you explain a little bit more about your branding side, because I think your branding is so strong um, for your company. I think it, it stands out so much. If you say offbeat anyone on the street, especially like in Dublin, everyone, but, oh yeah, I know that, you know. So how did you get to that point where you came up with such a strong branding? It, it started with uh, another conversation with my daughter. I have a son as well, by the way, you get a look in, but anyway, uh, again, but actually, no, we were sitting around the family. So I was explaining to my son and daughter um, that uh, I was going to leave the business that I was in, which was a bit scary, I suppose. Um, there's a certain security when you're working for another somebody else, yeah. um, a large company, and we're going to set up um, our own business and that we were going to donuts. And then explaining that they weren't going to be like just jam and ring donuts, they're going to be very different. And then I was explaining that there were desserts and patisserie type donuts, and I said, Right. So my daughter said, So your behavior is a bit quirky or offbeat, and so are your donuts. Is that the whole thing? And I said, Yeah, perfect. That's what we're going with now. Wow. Offbeat donuts. Wow. I like that. So that's, that's a great where we story. got the name. <laughs> and then after the name, it's about putting the imagery around it, and it's about putting a personality uh, around the brand as well. So during the six months, I'd spend the morning working on the donuts uh, up to about two o'clock, and then go for a walk on the beach, and then the afternoon, um, early morning to lunchtime. It's normally the time bakers are working, and then we go for a walk on the beach and work on the brand. And that would be how we're going to package it, what is going to be the imagery around it, and we work with a good design company. Um, we had a bit of difficulty with that at the start, and had to change once or twice. Okay. Uh, but we ended up with a, a design company that 
when we said something they understood what we were talking about um, and then yeah develop the brand imagery and each and every piece of it the message uh, from Oscar Wilde and the packaging um, what what resonated uh, with us and what resonated that we thought would, would fit with what the brand is meant to be about um, so that when we opened the store it wasn't just about the recipes and the whole production and the product and everything else it also had a I don't know, an image that went with that and a brand that would go with that and that would fit with it. So, yeah. So, you have your idea, your concept, you've kind of created your flavors, you've spent your time um, experimenting with everything and going through it all, and then you've got your branding, which I feel like is potentially like the final kind of. At least you like it. It's important that you like it. Yeah, you exactly. Well, yeah. it's very distinctive. You yeah. would know the box if, even if you didn't see. The name you would know an offbeat box i think in my opinion mm. anyway so you guys did a good job there Thank you. um but so you've got all that done what's kind of next how do you go about taking it to stores mm. so yes well we designed i designed it so that it would fit into quite a small footprint um so if you look around dublin there was a lot of stores it's, it's quite hard to get property in good look high volume traffic location yeah it's like but um, there were a lot of properties at around under a thousand square feet coming up regularly because it's hard to make enough money to pay the rent that the landlords want at that size of footprint. So they were coming up regularly. So the whole objective was to try and fit it into um, an area that we could maybe, uh, I suppose, convince landlords to rent to us. And that's actually more difficult than you think. I was looking insofar as this, um, somebody that we had done business with they had a property and um, I suppose the person in it, the tenant, it wasn't going well for them and they wanted to get out and um, it was in Pierce Station. Um, That's a great location. Yes, so uh, I suppose he said actually, so I was telling him what I was doing, he was asking went for a coffee and he said well there's a location that I have and maybe you'd take a look at it and I said oh I know it and yes I would like to rent and he said well take your time and I said no no I would <laughs> I need to locate so he said um, so then it was just about figuring out like I knew we had designed the offer so that it would fit into quite a tight area but it was very tight it was it was it was difficult um, but we we managed to fit the offer the production and the retailing of the offer into that into the site of the station I think it's amazing that you have, I know you produce everything on site, fresh, so the fact that you can fit in a fully working bakery and, you know, a counter in the front into such a small space. Yes. Um, it's almost like Tetris or something, trying was, to get everything to fit. So, but that was the exciting part of it as well. So we got that location and then it was just the scary thing of, uh, we had to hire people. Yeah. Um, so we had we initially just well, just we hired ten people. Um, That's quite a lot of staff for your first. It's, kind it's of quite a lot of staff, and you. I had no more money coming in. Yeah. I'd spent six months um, buying equipment, spending money on branding, design, packaging. You have to buy all the packaging up front. Anyway, it was we, we there was a lot of money going out at the time. So, Did then, you seek investment, like outside investment? For I, basically, for a small business now, there's a local enterprise, so you have councils. Um, like you're not big enough. It's difficult because I went to, when I was looking for 
to some place to set up the production and do the testing. Um, I went to the enterprise office of the councils and I went to, um, you can't be sporting unless you're trading a year. And I'm saying, well, I actually just want to try and test everything and get up and going. And go, well, I'm sorry, it could be anybody, you know? Yeah. And I suppose there's a point. So it's difficult. I mean, when you're trying to get off the ground, I mean, it was easier for me to fit out um, that log cabin and like it's very comfortable now people i think live in them but it was very nice <laughs> don't get me wrong um, and we put all the electrics in it to take large equipment um, so it had three phase anyway you know all the different uh, things you need to test the equipment um, but also at the time they said well look when you're hiring we can't help you now um, you can apply for an employment grant as a new business and uh, we did uh, we applied for employment grant because we were bringing uh, employment into the city centre at the time. But it, all the councils do the same thing, and it's very good uh, for a new business. But uh, unless you have an export plan, you don't fit into the criteria for Enterprise Ireland. It's it's oh, really okay. the local authorities will help you. Okay. Yeah. So you've now you've got your location. You've employed yeah. your people, and it's opening day. You opened in two thousand and sixteen. Yeah, May yeah. two thousand and sixteen. Yeah. So what was that like for you? What did that feel like on Terrifying. the first day? Terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It. I mean. So public speaking. Everybody likes public speaking. I don't think. <laughs> well, sorry. Maybe people do, but I think most people are, are worried about it. Yeah. So. Um, it's a bit like going up on a stadium or going up on a stage and you put a, a lot of your time, effort and energy into developing a brand, into the development of the look, the feel, the product range. You're very excited by it and everything else. And I'd spent a lot of my spare cash and a lot of money on, on getting that to where it was. Um, and we had nice uniforms, we had nice products. And everything else so and then we open the doors and it's just yeah it's terrifying as to whether or not people are gonna like it or buy it so uh, they did though they did yeah <laughs> you guys news. did so well so yeah yeah no people would like this so then that's equally rewarding yeah so when you're terrified initially and everything else then, then we were trying to um, I suppose cope and manage with things so um, Ten people does one eight-hour shift for us, so we had to then look at what we were doing, and we employed within, I'd say, three weeks another ten people. So we had twenty That's people. Fast. Yeah, well, and we had to train them, so it was, you know, you're just concentrating and trying to manage, but it's a good problem. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, and then we still didn't have enough space. We didn't have enough people. So then we were looking for another location that was bigger, um, and um, we opened George's Key then in November, so six months later. What was that like for you, just kind of the whole initial process of going from 25 years kind of being employed under someone else and living that kind of lifestyle to then becoming CEO of a company? How was that process for you? I never intended this to be kind of a CEO type of thing. I mean, this for me was, um, I don't know, like, yes, I wanted to set up a business, but I didn't want it to be too big. I probably made it much bigger than 
I had intended yeah, or it's wanted. Quite um, so it, it kind of just happened, is what I'd say. You know, it's not. Um, yes, we had plans. Or, you know, lots of different things we, we wanted to do with the business. But this was, if you're talented at writing, or if you're talented at drawing or something like that, this was me spending my time writing for myself and my time painting for myself. Um, and it just, the rest kind of happened. Um, and if, if I look back, it, it, I probably shouldn't have opened as many stores or I should have done it more slowly or, you know, there's lots of things I probably would do different. Um, but at the time we were just, I suppose, responding to opportunities that were there. That's the thing, I think sometimes you have to just run with the momentum yeah. that you're almost accidentally given where, I mean, you want your product to be a success, so, yes. yeah. but I guess it's just kind of all the technicalities behind that one end product that a lot of people don't kind of realize and they'll only just see you opening tons of stores as super successful, which it is, but then for you as an individual it might be a bit overwhelming or kind of... You've got a to lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah. Switch your game plan around a little bit, maybe. Yeah. So it's been, yeah, it's been a roller coaster. Of, like we're only open three and a half years. Yeah, that's why I thought it was so amazing. Uh, yeah, it's been one thing after another. It's been a huge learning curve. Such property, property, and, and what's involved, and all of that. It's been one of the biggest ones because I hadn't been involved in that previously. Um, but yeah, I, I probably would have. If I had it back again, I would have done things a bit slower, a bit, given myself a bit more breathing space. Yeah, because I kind of went from the hurly burly of being in the corporate world uh, to the hurly burly of being self-employed. Both hurly burlies. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and yeah. so I know you're franchising out now, and your first locations in Prague. How did that kind of come about? Um, it's a good friend of mine in Prague. So he's lived there for 20 odd years and um, he wanted to franchise offbeat over Prague. So the rest is just figuring it out, how we're going to do it, what we're going to do and how we're going to do the same offer in Prague as we've done in Ireland. So a lot of the products we buy, some uh, are locally sourced in Ireland, but a lot of the chocolate or the other products are internationally sourced. So we're able to, from like suppliers that would supply all over the, the world, uh, such as Ferrero, um, there's other bakery suppliers that we source our product from. Um, and so we'd set him up with those suppliers, we'd um, go and make donuts from our recipe, so we have a sort of standard recipe, so we'd make them locally, set the production up in the same way as we did in Ireland, and uh, then open the store. So um, it's like anything, once you set your mind to it, you just have to see what's okay. Eat an elephant in bits. So, <laughs> I love what do you need to do now? Um, yeah. So, you look at the first thing is, you know, maybe seeing can you get the you know the equipment in to make the donuts. You need to find the suppliers. You need to, you know, some of it's easier. We're not recreating the brand. We're not doing anything like that. Um, the packaging and other products we can ship from Ireland over. So, it's just about figuring it out. Wasn't, wasn't as difficult as doing it for the first time. Okay, yeah. and was franchising always kind of a goal for you when you started? Was it always something that you had in mind? Yes, so um, we, we set the brand up to be scalable um, and the offer up to be scalable. So 
the idea of Vosbeat is that it's manufactured on location. Um, so you're not trying to, I suppose you're not curtailed by large transport costs, or, um, albeit that your packaging is still coming in, but your packaging is coming in from all over the world in some ways. Um, but you make the product uh, in your locality. So it's about you know, a local bakery community part of it. So you're still making or producing the product in, in like if it was Cork or, or Prague or anywhere else, you set the bakery up in that location. Um, and then you have the brand and then you have those, the product offer and the new products and everything that goes with that. Um, and it's easier if you can, I suppose, uh, centralize your packaging uh, purchasing or your new product development or you know if you're doing a website or photography or things like that that you do it for a large number of stores rather than one store because it's, it's all expensive. Yeah, yeah of course and do you have future plans to kind of put stores anywhere else? Or? No we're, we're gonna like what I'd like to do is probably look at Ireland first yeah. so franchise uh, in Ireland over the next year <laughs> We've opened a few stores this year. Um, now I'd like to slow slow down or stop that in Dublin. We have, as I said, probably too many. <laughs> um, and then look outside of uh, Dublin, but we don't want to run the stores ourselves. We'll, we'll franchise outside of Dublin. And the idea is to set up a bakery, if not the bakery, in each, I suppose, major population centre. And um, then do the deliveries, do the retail sales, and produce the product uh, in, for that locality. Is that difficult for you to kind of almost let someone else have a little bit of control over your baby? Yes, it is. Yes. So I think it's a bit like it's a bit like hiring an employee or a store manager, or you, you know, you hire a certain type of person and a certain personality. Hopefully. Hopefully, the experience that people have when they go into the store, they know what I mean. That there's a certain type of person, you know, ideally somebody that likes other people. Yeah, that's always a help, yeah, I think, in retail. Service it is. So, um, but yes, you are giving a lot of trust because um, obviously we have certain values in terms of the, the product, in terms of the brand, and it's a bit like painting or writing. You're still handing it over to somebody else to do it in a certain way. But they need to do it in that way, so it, it is difficult. And also, I guess, with starting up anything, you're going to face a lot of challenges. Yeah. Um, with food, do you ever find, so I saw recently, was it uh, the Irish Heart Foundation, um, released a statement about potentially banning junk food marketing. What do you make of that? Um, I suppose for us, I mean, we are in the treat category, so, and I think for anybody, you know, anybody buying a treat, whether it's a cake or whether it's a patisserie or whether it's a, like a donut, conscious of negative terms, but to me it's, it's a dessert. Um, you're making a choice and I think so long as those choices are presented to people in, in the right way or in I mean, at the end of the day, we're trying to make it interesting for people. We're trying to make it a fun product for people to buy. Um, I think people should have an option of buying a treat. Um, I don't think it should just be, right, from now on, we will only eat salads, or we will only eat vegetables, or we will only eat 
certain things. Yeah. I think what we eat should be a choice. It should be an informed choice. And we're probably better informed than we ever have been. But it still should be a choice as to what we eat. And if we choose to have a treat and we know maybe higher in sugar and, and fat than it should be, well, it's still a treat. And maybe we've been to the gym or maybe we've had the salad in the morning. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we should have the options. And, yeah. and that's my belief. But I think there's also, you know, a demand for treats as well. So if there wasn't, we wouldn't have a business. Do you ever find as well, just kind of staying on that topic of, of roadblocks a little bit, um, I think everything is sometimes turning into, you know, like fads and things like that with social media. Um, things like veganism and all of that kind of stuff that comes and, you know, stays for a second and goes maybe, I'm not saying that veganism is going to do that, but that kind of nature of things. Does that ever affect kind of your products and what what you might put in your KPIs for the next year or, or things like that? Yes, I mean, it's, it's very much a factor. Like people's tastes and people's requirements and demands are always changing. So it's very much something that we'd like to cater for. Um, we have made all of our, all of our donuts are well, with one exception, the marshmallows. We're changing the marshmallows to vegetarian, but we're going to have all of our products vegetarian. Um, so any of our gelatines or we might use in the jam will be vegetarian. They won't be, you know, anyway, everything will be vegetarian. So that's something we've done, uh, fully done. Um, we wanted to bring out vegan donuts, but there's little... We will bring out vegan donuts, but we have to be quite careful with it. Uh, because we do non-vegan and we will do vegan uh, in the new year. Oh, exciting. Um, exciting. But it won't be in January because it's just too much work in, in doing it because it requires a separate frying system, um, you know, so we can't fry in the same oil. Um, we're going to bring it in a totally different fryer with different size cloths so that it just cannot there's a cross-contamination element yeah. for, for veganism, which is not a health thing. But it is part of some people. Some people don't care, but there are other people that do. So yeah. we have to try and cater to. We don't want to say something and not deliver on it. Yeah. So it means us bringing a new frying system. Uh, we then have to take measures to make sure that there's no uh, cross contamination within that. And then in store is probably more difficult for us. While we've segregated in store, um, it's not to say somebody with a, a tongs. Yeah, we forget to change the tongs, and, and to be honest, that's a concern of ours because uh, you know it's very important that we respect people's beliefs. It's kind of something that offbeat stands for. It is about offbeat behavior, and it's about respecting people's individualism. Um, so you're entitled to be offbeat. You're entitled to have your religious or food preferences or anything else, and, and our job is to respect those. Um, so. You know, for vegetarian, that, that's something we very much like to do. We have a lot of um, Muslim customers, and we don't want anything that might, you know, cause an issue. Well, we don't, and we won't have anything that causes an issue. Yeah. Um, the same with veganism. If somebody has an issue with that, we'll do everything we can to make sure we deliver on, on not uh, cross-contaminating products. That's something we'd like to do, and we probably will do. Sure, when in the new year, I hope February. Um, but we'll, we'll do it, um, but there's a lot of work in there for us.
how important do you think social media has been in kind of you guys establishing your brand identity and presence in what we kind of discussed earlier was a slightly saturated market? Well, for us, um, or I think for many business uh, now, uh, the route to market in terms of communicating with your customer um, or the ability to be able to communicate with your customer is just, it's, it's from, I, suppose, I grew up in marketing, um, so it used to be quite difficult, um, it used to be quite expensive, and now it's neither, um, and it's, it's a good thing and it can sometimes be a bad thing, but like, people have a huge reach, um, and like, you know, my time I might have seven or eight good friends that I might tell something to, um, but now you put it on Facebook or you put it on your Instagram account and suddenly you've reached hundreds of people. And those hundreds of people then can reach hundreds more people and if it's something that's interesting or exciting, uh, it gets talked about or it gets photographed and it gets reset. So for us, the ability to be able to talk and communicate directly with a consumer um, has been just an eye-opener for me. It's been a fantastic and um, I think for any business now, uh, if you're not talking to your consumer or listening to your consumer, um, I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, why you in business if you're not if you're not paying attention to your customer? And I also so, feel like it's potentially like you have kind of like a, a ready to access focus group whenever yes. whenever you want, just from having a good presence on social media, which you guys do as well. Um, I think to kind of round up the whole thing, I just want to talk about success kind of as an idea. And I would be really interested to know what your definition or idea of success is. Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I suppose for me, in terms of, um, I've got a lot of satisfaction from people liking the product they created. I got a lot of satisfaction from creating employment, um, which I've done, I suppose, part of my job, even in Arista, would have been create businesses to create employment, uh, and it was an Irish business. Um, so I got a lot of satisfaction out of doing that. Um, and I say to my children, and I, I do believe it, that it is, you need a certain amount of money, um, but I think if money was your only drive, I don't know if you'd ever open a business um, because it's it's an insecure way of earning money. Uh, it's a very risky uh, way to earn money. So I think it needs to be about something more, um, and it has to be a creative element um, to what you're doing. Uh, that creative element is wanting to see your whatever you've created being bought by people or being liked by people, or whether it's creating you know something new for you know, that makes a difference in the society or makes a difference in employment um, that's probably been what's important to me um, and seeing that grow is exciting and seeing that uh, have the capability of growth is, is very exciting um, uh, I think the other thing I set out as a goal when I was doing this going back to my conversation with my daughter um, was that uh, no matter what stage of your life you're at or what stage of your career you're at, um, there's nothing stopping you 
from changing that direction except the belief in yourself um, and there's nothing stopping you you know like failure isn't failure you know you might be successful and then suddenly you fail um, I think the biggest success is, is dusting yourself down and saying well, look I'm gonna still get on with it no matter whether the leaving cert went well, <laughs> or whether the business went well, or whatever, you still need the determination to get on with it because there's nothing stopping you still getting on with it. You know? Do and you remember kind of maybe one defining moment in, in your offbeat journey where you kind of sat back and realized, I've done it, you know, I've, I've, I've actually made this work, I've accomplished what I said I had to do, I've potentially reached success. Um, at the end of the first day in trading, yeah, um, people, I mean, we had to close at lunchtime. Um, we had sold everything that we produced, and um, yeah, fine, we grew our capacity, we grew our employment numbers, we grew everything from then, but really, probably the first day of trading, when, you know, exhausted. Yeah, I'd say worried about well what are we doing next and making the plans to hire extra people and train and buy new equipment and stuff but um, yeah that that's a nice feeling um, and it's still like you know we we're in a creative sector um, so still every day we make new products that people like um, we get people writing into us saying how nice the offer was and how nice the staff were or whatever and whenever somebody takes the time to do that that's rewarding that's that's when you put a smile on your face and you enjoy it you know, so, and it, you feel you've done something right like it's not about the size the business or all of that it's, it's about just getting the, the little things right and people appreciate it and i guess my last question for you today brian is if you think back to yourself at let's say 10 years old from where you're sitting now, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give your 10-year-old self? I think it's coming back to, you know, don't be scared to fail. And don't be scared to, you know, go for whatever you want in your dream or your life or whatever you want at the time. And don't be just scared to change from being a soldier to being a restaurateur to being <laughs> somebody that works in the corporate world for 25 years. I enjoyed all aspects of it, you know. There are difficulties in every one of them. There are difficulties in working in a corporate environment or for somebody else. Um, and we have difficulties every day of the week. Um, but, you know, that's kind of... Anybody that says that isn't life is wrong. <laughs> but you have to still take the moments and back yourself. And, and it's, there is hard work. It's a lot of hard work. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you still have to get on with it. You, you need to set a target, and I'm going to get that target, and then I'm going to get on to the next target and the next one. And it's bit by bit, um, but go after it. Uh, and it's not easy, but go after it. And then you know, don't like there's nothing in your life that is going to be that's it. I'm not going to do something else. You're always going to do something else. That's what I'd say. Thank you so much for listening and as always, please don't forget to share, comment and rate this podcast if you like what you hear. I'll be back next week chatting to more inspiring individuals, but for now, this has been What It's Like With Luce.